Thanks for listening to Ram Nation Radio. Did you know that Toyota's iconic Land Cruiser will be coming to an end this spring? The 2021 version is your last chance to purchase a new Land Cruiser. This powerful 381 horsepower V8 has legendary off-road prowess to handle the toughest terrain. And inside, you've got spacious, heated, and ventilated leather-trimmed seats to let you enjoy it all in comfort. Stop by Peterson Toyota today to test drive one of Toyota's most timeless SUVs before it's gone. Peterson Toyota has been serving customers for more than 52 years in Fort Collins. They're Northern Colorado's largest automotive dealership, and yet they care for each and every customer for the lifetime of their vehicle needs. Count on them for high-quality vehicles at the right price. This family-owned business proudly serves the communities of Fort Collins, Greeley, Windsor, Loveland, and all the surrounding communities. They are loyal CSU supporters, and we couldn't be more proud to have them as a partner. Whether you're in the market for a New Year's vehicle, make Peterson Toyota your first choice. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to Ram Nation Radio. I am Joel Canalamessa, founder of Ram Nation. I am joined by Mike Rowe. Sorry that we have been off for a few weeks. I apologize for that. Work and life had just been busier than usual, and that's saying something, but uh, it's actually been decent timing. We haven't had a whole lot of men's hoops to talk about. Seems like they haven't played since Christmas. The last two series against uh, New Mexico and Nevada were postponed due to COVID issues in both of those programs, and now we're eagerly awaiting what's supposed to be the regular season finale versus Air Force this coming Saturday and Monday. Uh, we've been hoping for a game in between that time. Doesn't look like that might happen, but uh, of course the Rams are battling for the Mountain West regular season title. That's that's important because no regular season Mountain West champ has ever been left out of the NCAA tournament. So it'd be nice to be holding that in your pocket uh, going into a Selection Sunday as the NCAA tournament is trying to decide their field. The Rams are currently tied in the Mount West with uh, San Diego State for second place, but they've played three fewer games than leader Boise State. Uh, the Rams are currently on the NCAA bubble. We'd all love to see that New Mexico series made up because that would, seems to be that would be an, auto, an automatic couple wins there. Nothing's automatic, but as is, is, is good of a chance to get two wins as any. Uh, Air Force this coming weekend is another great chance at two wins. And, and then the other series, the Nevada series, which definitely would be a challenge. Uh, they swept Boise State at home. Uh, it would be tough to go on the road and, and win two games there, but it also uh, would be good for the, the Rams' net rankings uh, because that would be, I believe, they are a quad two opponent. So, so we'll see what happens there. The women's program has also had the recent series against Nevada postponed, which is a shame. They, too, are vying for a conference championship. They're currently in the lead at 10-2 and two in the conference. Their next official game is also Saturday and Monday against Air Force. And then you look at uh, the other thing that's been going on while we were away is volleyball started up. And uh, they it is weird to look at the Mountain West volleyball standings and see CSU in the middle of the pack at 3-3. Three and three. They got swept at home a couple weeks ago by Air Force in the second of two matches. Just weird to see. I mean, just <laughs> to have Air Force of all teams come into Moby Arena and and take care of business. Rams won the opener against against uh, Air Force, dropping a, a set there, which had been the first time they'd lost a set at home to Air Force in like forever. And then to get swept the next match was just unreal. They got back on track against Nevada and then dropped two more matches at home to UNLV this past weekend. They're inexplicably one and three at Moby Arena this year. You know, they're younger, they're inexperienced. 
but still, it is shocking considering seeing uh, what Tom Hilbert has done in that program over the years. So <clears throat> hopefully they can get back on track and, and continue their NCAA tournament streak. Anyway, we'll talk more about those sports and, and men's basketball next week and in the coming weeks as we approach the Mount West tournament, which just announced that there will be officially no fans at the Thomas and Mack Center, which is really disappointing. But anyway, we will talk more about that. But today we have a very special guest with us, Tom Ellers. I'm really excited about this conversation. He just retired after 40 years of service at CSU. He was a four-year starter on the offensive and defensive lines for CSU. He was a long snapper as well. He was a WAC Scholar Athlete Award winner in 1984, his senior year. He was a multi-year academic all-WAC student-athlete, smart guy. As a coach, came back to CSU in 1988 under Earl Bruce, uh, and he has coached some of the best defensive linemen in CSU history. Later went on to become the director of football operations from 2005 to 2019 before serving as director of Ram Life Programs the past couple of years and then recently announcing his retirement. His tenure as member of the football staff is the longest by an assistant in school history, so it's been a great run. I know all that means is that he's old, but uh, we kid, kid. But uh, he's got some great stories, and, and we're looking forward to talking with him here. Tommy, you are joining us live from Mighty River, so uh, all you folks that are may hear some background noise. That's because Tom is enjoying some freshies at Mighty River. <laughs> Dan Miller's there in the background. Hello, Dan. But Tommy, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Joel. It's an honor to be here. And uh, it's been fun to fun to watch Ram Nation grow up over the years. Really proud of what you built here. Tom, what, uh, you said you're taking the Mad Dog? Yeah, I got the Mad Dog. And I said to someone, I hope it's not named after Mad Dog, who's the Wyoming uh, equipment manager for most of my tenure here. But if it is, it's all right, because he was a hardworking, dedicated guy. And uh, he used to sleep in the locker room because he was afraid we were going to mess with his equipment. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, he didn't trust us. You, you mentioned Ram Nation, and um, I think back, Tom, because you, you've been basically – I've known you basically since I started the the message board back in 2000, and you you would pin me. I think back in those early days, even uh, you know, someone would post something that they probably weren't supposed to about something they observed at practice. Because you remember Sonny, anybody could go watch practice at the practice fields, and Sonny never really shut anybody out. So if someone posted something that hey, someone looked hobbled in practice today, or we ran uh, this play in practice, you, know, you really, <laughs> I always expect a phone call from you and. And we would always figure that you never were angry, never, uh, never mad about it. But you're like, let's let's figure out a way to, to uh, either delete that or massage that message and, and talk to the the poster and the and, and so he doesn't divulge that kind of information going forward. But uh, I always appreciated that out of you that you you were you kind of had your finger on the pulse of what people were talking about. Yeah, I'd say I worked at that pretty good. And, and Ram Nation, of course, was an easy place to start. And uh, I don't think people realize the impact that you have. Like you say, you, you know, you throw in a reverse and someone says, yeah, I watched Damon Washington throw a reverse pass. That, that's an alert to the other team, you know, as is an injury or, or Kevin McDougal didn't practice again. Of course, that would have been his last three years. He never practiced, but he always came to play. But, but uh, you know, you know and, that, and that's probably the biggest thing is, and, and like now, these forums are as big as ever and, and Ram nation. It sometimes gets a little negative, as you know, and I think, I think you don't realize how many of our recruits and their parents and families get plugged into Ram nation. And, and uh, that tone, sometimes I, I cringe at it, 
the message yep. itself is good by you guys, certainly, but there's, there's, uh, it, it, I, I wish people would understand it. It does matter. Now, Tom, it's the bane of my existence sometimes. And, uh, it's, uh, you kind of, you know, I, I'm, I'm a journalist at heart, so I welcome differing opinions. I, I welcome criticism as long as the people aren't totally crossing the line. And, you know, we certainly have guys that dwell in the negative constantly, but, um, it's, it's a, it's definitely a balancing act of trying to allow people to, to vent, to say what they need to say and share their negative opinions, uh, while not completely smearing our, our program and university and coaches and players. So it's tough, but, um, you know, you, you basically said it. I mean, there's, there's goods and bads and, and you kind of were around when the rise of college message boards kind of came and you could see the good things that it could do. I mean, back in the day, we did, we did a lot of fun things for the football program with fundraisers and buying equipment for, for Sonny and gifts and um, you know, your staff and, and those kind of things, raising money for other posters who are going through hard times, Danny Hammerschmidt. But you know, then, then you've got, uh, then you've got times like now where we're, we're kind of in a down, a down trend, I guess for the last 18 years, we haven't won a, a Mount West title and people get a little cranky. So, I mean, what would you say? I, you basically already said it, but what would you say to, to posters who, who do come to the boards and just bash everything and, and, and want to vent? Well, as, as a member of the football program at Colorado State for 40 years, I can honestly say I've been here through ups and downs, okay? And I kind of look at it like coaching. Okay, there's good players and there's players that aren't as good. There's talented players and less talented. There's driven players and less driven. There's players that are glad to be there and have given up, and there's players that, that work hard no matter how good they are, okay? And there's a way to coach them. You got to tell them the truth. The truth is good. None of us don't want the truth, right? None of us don't want the truth. We all want the truth. And so you got to be honest. I don't have any problem saying, I wonder why Coach Ellers ran the ball on fourth down instead of threw the ball. Or, okay. Of course, half the time I'm going to be right. Okay. But I'm not an idiot and I shouldn't be fired because I chose to run the ball instead of throw the ball. Okay. And, it's like I tell people, I remember the first time someone asked me that, why did you run? Why did you throw the ball on fourth down? And it didn't work one game. And, and, and I remember going, well, I don't know. We sat up there 18 hours a day for the last week. And we thought, what would be the best way not to make this fourth down? If we threw it, we don't have a chance. Let's throw it and not get the first down. I mean, we sit up there and we do all that based on what we see and what we know and the years of uh, collective experience of football coaches. And we do the best thing, you know, and uh, that's like taking one way home and there's a wreck in front of you. So you're late for dinner. Okay. Does your wife say, why the hell are you late for dinner? You say, well, I don't know. I've yes. done what I've done for 12 <laughs> years and it worked every time. And today there was a crash and I'm late. <laughs> that's a good, no, my, 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 mine usually says, why weren't you here earlier to start cooking? So yeah, I guess you're right. I, uh, she must be a poster on the, uh, on the message board then <laughs> could be but but there's a way to tell there's a way to tell the truth and the best person of that was was Sonny Lubick Sonny Lubick has a way of telling people the truth and making them go oh yeah I can do better oh yeah and I tell people all the time coach Bruce boy he would get on me for losing contain in the quarterback oh he would just yell and scream matter of fact when I asked him to sign a picture uh when he was coach we were still coaching here I say, Coach, I'm going to put a picture of you up in my Ram room. Will you, will you sign it? And he wrote, 
uh, you know, he said, uh, Tom, best wishes, Earl Bruce, contain. Okay. <laughs> and man, would he go off shift if he lost contain. And, uh, you know, and then Sonny gets here. We're running that really aggressive Miami defense. And we got Sean and Brady just eating everyone's lunch. But every now and again, they get ran by the football. And the quarterback would duck up underneath him and kind of lose contain. And, and Sonny was trying to explain to me, Tom, just because he's going underneath Brady doesn't mean he's containing him. You know, if the quarterback's running free on the corner, it's not contained. And I'd say, well, this is what I tell him. And he says to me one day, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a better way to say it. What he meant was the same thing Earl was saying at the top of his lungs. I was screwing it up. Okay. Right. But when he said it, I didn't get defensive. I went, oh, maybe there is a better way to say it. And that's what I'd say to the negative guys on Rambation. You don't have to insult people to tell them the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I spent a lot of my career being that guy. So I don't act, I mean, I, I don't I don't say that in a bad way, and I don't say it like you can't get better because you can. And I wasn't that good at it. I wasn't that good at it until after I wasn't working for Sonny anymore. And I realized how gifted he was and what a gift it was. And I became more conscious about it because how he communicated with people and how he got the best out of people was remarkable. Most of my negative posts were directed towards the uh, players ops uh, guy. So, and I'm, you know, most, mostly this last decade. So just, just so you know, I just want well, to those. Know. Yeah, yeah, those are that. easy. Those are all true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk more about Sonny. because he didn't buy me enough beers. <laughs> right. Well, I want to okay. talk more about Sonny in your, in your tenure, but what, uh, you know, it's, it's been a long one, obviously, but what, what made you, after all these years, finally decide you, were, you want to step away uh, and retire, and what will you be doing with yourself? Yeah, you know, that's a good question, but it's just, just a lot of things, you know, and, uh, you know, a few years ago, I, I went through a divorce after a long time and since then have been remarried and uh, my kids have graduated all from CSU. And, you know, it's just, I'm just in a place where I, I guess the truth is you just have options and you go through this stuff and you get another coaching change, um, which, which is hard under good circumstances. And then you put in COVID and you put in all this stuff and it's just kind of like, you know what? And then you get the university stepping up with some, with some severance packages. And it's all of a sudden, it's like, you know what? It's a good thing. This is a good thing. It's just time to go. Not very many people get to do what I've done in this business. And then to go out under your own terms, I thought it'd be a good time to do it. And uh, so that's why I left. I, I uh, appreciate Coach Adazio and his plan. I like the staff. I, I like what they're doing. I like who they're recruiting. They're recruiting players that are going to be developed. They're going to recruit players that are hungry. And uh, I like that. I like, uh, you know, I don't think it's fair. You know, something people don't, you know, talk about his, his East Coast personality and stuff. And he is that. He's my age. He's a little older. We're tough old guys. He's an old line guy which makes him a positive thing in my book. And he wants to run the football. Uh, let me know when it's something bad. Okay. And so uh, I, I don't, I, I certainly am not leaving because of anything he's done. And I hope to be part of the program as best I can, uh, as best as the rules allow it. I bought my season tickets and uh, I'm making plans to go to a couple of road games already this fall. So I want nothing but the best as far as what I'm going to be doing. 
I'm going to be traveling. I'm going to be enjoying life and uh, I'll be enjoying not having to be anywhere. And uh, as far as having a lot of free time, I'm going to do some uh, uh, financial services with Primerica Financial Services. So I'll be helping some people maybe get in the same position I was where they can make this decision when they're 58 to retire. Right. Good for you. Yeah. Um, and I know you touched on this, but um, it, I, I want to get more of your impressions of the staff and what kind of fit. I mean, we only got to see Coach Dazio and, and the bulk of this staff perform for, for four games um, in a very weird season. But um, do you feel like he's the right fit? He'll bring the right kind of football that can succeed at CSU? Yeah, I think he is. I think his, he, 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 he demands a lot out of people, and he shows them the path to get there, and he gives them the tools to get there, okay? And, uh, yeah, he didn't have, you know, direct ties out here, but neither did Earl Bruce. And without Earl Bruce, Sonny Lubick doesn't have it teed up. I just got to tell you, okay? And, uh, you know, Steve Adazio has a man he coaches and he teaches. And, and he, he is demanding, but he always shows and tells them and teaches them what it is he's trying to get them to do and how to get them to get there. And, and, and that's who he hires on his staff. I think they're good. They're great coaches and teachers, you know, and uh, yeah, that's what I'll tell you. I mean, you don't get much better coaches than Ch Chuck Eater and Brian White. Goodness gracious. And he, and he has some young coaches, but they got good pedigrees and they get good. They're all good in the classroom. They're all good on the field. What little time I did get to go out there and get on the field. I don't have any trouble. I don't have any trouble except it's, it's just been a crazy year, not just the, transition but then COVID and then the social justice and then the stuff that happened in Loveland with Barry and, and then the investigations and all the stuff and yeah I'm not everyone learned this year that we can all do better in so many of our things most of which have to do with how we deal with people just like we were talking with Ram Nation people get when they're talking on Ram Nation that they're talking to and about people okay and that's the same thing and uh and I think we all learned we could do better. That being said, I know this. You know, Steve Adazio is not a big fan of a lot of the stuff of uh, COVID and the paranoia. But at the end of every conversation, he said, but this is what I know, guys. It doesn't matter what I think. We're going to follow every protocol. And, and I'm not saying we didn't get better at following. I'll be honest with you. I walked in here today. I'm sitting at the counter now, so I don't have a mask on. I walked out of my truck, and I got... 40 yards before I realized I forgot my mask. And that's because I don't go anywhere anymore. So I don't even, uh, you know, six months ago when I was going to work every day and was putting a mask, I never forgot my mask. Okay. Right. And when all that was starting to happen, when we came back in the early part of June, it was like, yeah, you know, everyone's, we're going to wear a mask. And then it was, Hey, you should wear a mask. Hey, we got to wear a mask. Hey, do you know the most important thing we could do is wear a mask? <laughs> And that changed in a matter of three or four weeks, just like you shouldn't get in someone's face. Oh, you should be three feet away. Oh, you should be six feet away. And, and all that was happening. We were all trying to figure out and we were one of the first teams that came back and we, it was remarkable how we did. And uh, I respect coach Adazio for how he handled that. And I thought we made great progress. And then, uh, then we got shut down for the investigation and we got shut down for COVID and then and the season got delayed, and, and, and that's when it got a little choppy for everyone. And then we were going to not play a season, and everybody kind of exhaled. And I think that's where 
we lost some ground because I, I think this spring, what we did this spring was more than any team in the country. And I know that because I talked to them a, lot, a lot of their ops guys. We, we made great progress between the time we went home at spring break and June when we came back, more than a lot of people. You know, then it went, then we had a couple issues come up, but none of it was because of bad intention or disrespecting the, the protocols that were put in place. And, uh, I'm sure that was a taxing whole period for, for all you guys, but um, did, what were your thoughts on the investigation? Was it fair? How was it, was it handled fair? What came out of it? Was it, was it accurate and fair? What, what were your thoughts on all that? Or can you say? Well, again, this is a matter of opinion, and, but I think, I think that the investigation was fair. I think one guy's abusive guy is another guy's old school. I don't know. Abuse, Stephen Ezio is not abusive at all. Okay, and uh, and his staff they teach. Are they demanding? Yes. Okay, but he was brought in here to change the culture a little bit. And again, I don't want to go into this. Mike Bobo. I thought we did a great thing that last year. And if we were just a couple wins away from maybe not getting let go, but but we didn't. We didn't get it done. We didn't change it enough that last year. Okay, we were in every game, but we didn't win them. So we got to let go. That's what happens. We all know that. And when you bring in a shift, you, I mean, usually you go a little with a little different guy. So I, I, I don't have any problem saying that these guys are good coaches and they're demanding, but they teach. The teaching out there is amazing. It's impressive. And I've been around enough good coaches to know. So, Tom, uh, who was your head coach when you played and then so, going through all the coaches that you uh, worked under. Yeah. So Sark Arslanian was the coach that recruited me. Chester Caddis was the assistant coach. Okay. And I always say this, and I, and I say it joking. I don't mean to be disrespectful to my team or my teammates, but I was just good enough to get him fired my second year. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then they, you know, Chester Caddis was the one who was the interim coach for six months six, or six games. And I remember when he didn't get the job, a couple of us went to his office and said, Coach, we're, good. we're all transferring. We're not going to stick around if they don't give you the job. And he looked at me and he said, Tommy, shut up. This is a great place. And it's, it, you're not going anywhere. You and your teammates need, teammates need to get behind the new coach and, and, and turn this place into what it should be. And then they hired Leon Fuller, and he came in and he changed, changed a lot of things, but they didn't support the program. It was awful. Uh, I told Leon when we were building the stadium, I said, coach, after 30 years, 35 years in this thing, I now know that you might be the most important coach in, in CSU history because for the, what they gave you and how they supported the program, they should have dropped football, not dropped down. They should have dropped it. I mean, we went to games the day of the state or the games today of this, the day of the game, you know, we'd fly down for night games on the day of the game. We'd stay in crappy hotels. We'd eat crappy food. It was just amazing to think that that's how you would do it and compete. And I told him that when he was here and uh, he, he, he chuckled because, you know, he knows so much of it is wins and losses, which, which, you know, obviously he fell short there, but, but uh, he was really important. And he set it up for a guy like Earl because everyone, everyone, everyone knew that Colorado state program is where you could at least be trusted because it was, you know, Leon Fuller had good people on his staff. And then, uh, and then they hired Earl, who was as different from Earl as you could be. Leon Fuller was a walk-on at Alabama. He was a self-motivated guy. He thought everyone could be self-motivated. Earl, 
Earl was a demanding. He demanded that you be motivated. Okay. And almost to a fault. And then they hired Sonny, who was more demanding than people think. People think Sonny's laid back and all this. Sonny Lubick knew exactly how to coach and how to get a lot out of people. But he was demanding. And you got the same pit in your stomach when Earl Bruce was cussing me because the quarterback was running free. And Sonny Lubick would say, what'd you tell him, Tom? You know, he didn't. Okay. It was, it was the same pit in your stomach because you knew you could trust him. And that's one thing I'll say about all the head coaches. And, and I've been so lucky there. There, there, I can count on my thumbs the number of guys that didn't deserve to be at Colorado state or, or that, you know, that they didn't trust. So, so then, so, you know, Sonny coaches and then, and then uh, Steve Fairchild got his chance and, and uh, we came up short and, and, uh, you know, and, and then Mike or Jim McElwain came in and we made great improvement. And, uh, and then Mike Bobo came in and started out good, just like Fairchild did. And then we just couldn't hang on to the success. And that's where we are now. River, uh, you, you touched on this a little bit, but do you ever look back and say, gosh, darn it, why didn't CSU invest in, in Earl Bruce or Sonny Lubick like they're doing now? Um, you, you, Sonny would never have been let go. And, and who knows where CSU would have been at this point. Uh, yeah, you always, you always wonder what if, okay? But the truth is, uh, when Earl came in and they made that commitment, they, they spent more money on football than they ever had here, you know? And then Sonny came in, and Sonny was different. We all know that. He's so special. And uh, Sonny was uh, – I think it took us a year, two years before we spent the money that Earl did the last year. You know, he just, Sonny just did things differently. He was just a little more down to earth. You know, it's like, you know, he'd say, I'm not flying to San Francisco to see one guy. So you had to arrange it so he could spend three days there instead of go take a trip on Monday and then go back on Thursday. He had us all get it done and that saved a lot of money. And that was his practical, you know, that he was just very practical that way. You know, but that's not how they do it now. That's how anyone does it now. How'd you take Sonny's firing back then? Oh, it was awful, you know. That all the firings are bad. Right. You know, when you're sitting where I was sitting, all the firings are bad. And it might be worse as an ops guy because you're not only seeing the people who are going out and struggling, you're seeing guys coming in and and it's just a conflict. You know, it's just kind of a hard thing. It's just you're put in the middle. And the guys that stay are, are often put on an island. You know, now that's a lot better island than not getting the job. And I've, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of friends do that. And that's, you know, it's awful when guys like, I mean, good coaches, you know, Dan Hammerschmidt, Daryl Funk, Derek Frazier. I mean, those guys couldn't get jobs when they were here. I mean, those yeah. are good coaches, as good as coaches you could ever have. Well, says something that, uh, what were you part of, what, six different coaching staffs that you coached as part of or worked as director of football ops under? And uh, for you to continue yeah. to be retained, and obviously you, you bring a lot. I mean, your, your experience and your skill, but also that connection of the past uh, combined with your Ram pride, which is second to none. I mean, it's a, it's a no brainer to keep you part, but uh, I just feel like what a, you just don't see that very often to have a, a coach that spans all those different staffs. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, it, it, it is hard. I remember when, when we had our first staff meeting after recruiting in February with Earl Bruce, he's doing the job description stuff, job duties, had a long list, you know, every little duty. And he looks over at me and he says, all right, Tom, you're going to be the expert at CSU. You're going to know everything. You're going to know everyone. You're going to know every teacher. 
that is the teacher to, if you got to, if you got to take composition, you're going to know which teacher to take and which teacher, teacher to avoid. Okay. I'm like, yeah, I already know that because I had to take those teachers. I had to take the right teacher just to have a chance. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm like, yeah. And he goes, so you're going to start, what do they do with former players? And I said, I don't know. I've graduated for four years. I never heard from anybody. <laughs> and I'm like, he says, well, you're going to fix that. I go, oh, that'll be awesome. It was just easy for me to do that part of it. And then, so I got immersed on campus and, and I had all, I had a lot of jobs that were the jobs that were awful. Nobody, no assistant coach wanted them, but I was so glad to be back at CSU working for Earl Bruce. I didn't even know they were that bad. And then as my career went on, I just noticed that I got more and more of those. Uh, the, the, we didn't have an ops guy. I was the first ops guy. I'll get to that in a second, but but Mick Delaney, first Steve Loney, and then Mick Delaney did most of those auxiliary duties. And I had the second biggest amount. And I remember when Sonny asked me if I wanted to be the ops guy, he, he says, you know, it might let you stick around a little longer. It's hard to do what you've done in coaching. And, being, you know, by then I'd been at the same place for like 15 years. Yeah. And uh, even that's hard enough. And, and uh, he says, you know, and I'm not saying you won't ever, you know, you won't get to stay forever, but. But, you know, in coaching, it might be easier if you're uh, not coaching. Well, I tell you what I did. I called Urban, and I asked Urban what he thought. He said, Tom, here's what you better do. You better be the best ops guy you can be because you can't do this and think, I'm just going to do this for a couple of years and then get back into coaching. You got to do it like your, your career dependent on it. And I tried to do that. I'm not as organized as a lot of ops guys. Some of them are. I, I, I do operations like a D-line coach. Let's just say it that <laughs> At the end of the day, I get it done, just like a good D-line coach. But D-line coaches are a mess. And, uh, you know, every I think most of my peers in the profession would tell you that, uh, that I have a lot of things to offer. But organization, like on a minute, you know, that's not, that's not my strength. But if you want to know how to get something done or, or where to do it or where not to do it, then, then I was that guy. But – but anyway, back to the point of just being here, you know, and I, I just embraced that piece of it. And, you know, I just, the same thing I told Steven Dazio, I said, I don't know. I just, I just think I could help you. I can't imagine it'd be easier to do this without me, your transition. You know, I said, I don't know, down the road, we'll figure it out. And he's figured it out. I mean, they don't call me every week, you know, and, uh, but it was just good. And, and I think, I think I, I think I did good. I hope I did good. And, uh, but it was just time. It was, you know, it's just time to go. How great uh, to, you get to stay at the, at the university you love and Fort Collins. You just... Well, the key to retirement is when you retire from CSU, you get a, a parking permit for life. <laughs> so that I can never, I don't have to get any more parking tickets. Okay. Man. When you're working, when you're working 18 hours a day, you don't get a free parking permit. And you pay a lot of tickets. But now that I retired, I get that parking permit. That's right. I can... It's funny how that works. <laughs> and get to know Dan from uh, Mighty River. Uh, you yeah. know, that's another perk of being uh, retired. That's right. I get to know him better again. You know, people ask me how I know Dan. I've known Dan a long time since he was working at the golf course. Yeah. And, and, and as you know, the operations guy, you know, guys come and visit. You know, guys do this and that. And they're like, hey. Where can we play golf? I'm like, are you kidding? You're asking me at 11 o'clock on a Friday if I can get you a one o'clock tea time in, in May? 
<laughs> well, when I had to do that, I ended up getting to know Dan and I called Dan and Dan could, Dan was amazing how he came through and we've been friends ever since. And he enjoyed some perks from that relationship as well. <laughs> that's so awesome. Well, that's a perfect segue. Cause I want to, I know you're a big fan, Tom. You're there right now. Uh, want to really encourage all of Ram Nation to get out, visit Money River Brewing Company. As of earlier this month, they just got approval for 50% capacity, which is awesome. They can accommodate a lot of thirsty beer drinkers. They just re-released their Red Cloud Vienna Lager. Uh, they've got their Intergalactic Current IPA. And Tom's right now drinking the Mad Dog as we speak. They got more than another dozen beers on tap. And they've got their regular rotation of different food trucks visiting. And, of course, you can always go next door and grab a, a pie from Pizza Vino. And you can stop in and pick up four packs to go, take those home, uh, stock up, as well as growlers and crowlers. So uh, owner Dan Miller, big-time Ram fan, great Ram Nation supporter, good buddy of mine, does such a fantastic job. I know my man El Diablo is a regular there. He takes advantage of that $1 off his beer by showing his RamNation.com on his phone. All of you guys should as well. So that's right, Mighty River Brewing Company in Windsor. I'm going to interrupt you real quick there because now I, 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 I drank that. Mad Dog. Now I've switched to the Pine View Double IPA, and uh, named after a, a rapid on the Pooter. And you can definitely taste a little bit of the pine in it, and it's remarkably crisp. And all good beers. I'm an IPA guy. Which, yeah. You know they say those are the easiest beers, but man, I like them because I like the hoppy and yep. uh, good beers here. Dan, I'll tell you another. Since we've been talking about this, so Dan, Darren, and Tim, all three of the Millers, we we all had a good relationship with all of them, and. Uh, after one of the games, this is when we were winning nine games a year, right? Ten games a year. One of the games, Tim went off shift and put an ad, put a post on Ram Nation. And it wasn't ten minutes later. I called Dan. I said, give me Tim's phone number. <laughs> and I let him have it, man. I let him have it. And, and, I, and, I, and, and again, I, in, in a good way, because I'm like, you're not wrong. What do you think? We're all celebrating that we screwed it up and lost on a coaching mistake. Yeah. But you know, we're, we're people too, you know, and, and every time I see Tim, he brings that up and I'm like, Hey, I'm over it. Okay. Let's go. Let's move forward. That was a long time ago, but he still, he still remembers that he wrote that post. And I guess that's what happened when you write something and, he, and, and I guess it's like, if you were going to read it to him, you know, and that's what he forgot. He, he, he forgot that, that he was going to have to, it's like he, I was going to hold him accountable and so much online stuff, social media, that's what we lose. We lose that someone's that reaction. You don't ever get to see the reaction of the people that you, you hurt, you know, players, I guess right now there's a deal going online right now about Cam Newton. I heard on the way in on, on, uh, on the KOA something with the, some kid released a video where they were going back and forth. Just yeah. uh, talk, talk about bad timing, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, did Cam do everything right? No, but that kid, you know, at the, at the time, he knew it was an emotional time. So much unfair, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's what we all know. It's like, it's just like the, the sports, unsportsmanlike conduct. Always gets the second guy that pushes. Never gets, social media gets the first guy that pushes, but not the second. You don't ever get the comeback. Right. So yeah. you've, you've seen the incredible transformation of the university and the football program. Uh, dating back to when you played, through Sonny's era, uh, to where we are today with facil facilities, stadiums, salaries. Um, what are your impressions overall on the transformation and where CSU is now and how that's kind of 
what impact has that had on our program? And we haven't necessarily seen big leaps, but uh, obviously we've caught up to um, the rest of the conference and, 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 and have those pieces in place. But is it astonishing to look back at where we've been and where we are now? It's amazing when I think, like I said, of what we used to do and how we used to do it and uh, compared to what we do now. And I think the strength of Colorado State will always be Colorado State. Colorado State, from an athletic perspective, I know there's been people a lot bigger than football guys, but, you know, Colorado State's bigger than Harry Hughes. It's bigger than Fun McGraw. It's bigger than Sonny Lubick. It's bigger, you know, it's certainly bigger than Tom Ellers and Doug Max and Gary Ozello. You know what I mean? And, but the strength of Colorado State's always been the people. I could tell story after story of being touched by people at Colorado State. Okay. And I think, I think with all the progress we made and all the, all the great things that Dr. Yates started and, and then followed through with, with Dr. Frank, I think we started thinking that the buildings and the things were going to be, make us great instead of the people. Okay. Because the truth is when we had our greatest success with when Becky was here and Ryan Yoder and, and Anthony Hill and Moses Moreno and Sonny Lubick and Boyd Grant, it, it, we, we didn't have anything except great people. And we made sure that they had everything they wanted to, th to thrive. And, and it was easy to, for us to sell that because that's all we had. Okay. And so we made sure that we took care of our people. And I think as a university, we don't want to lose sight that it's still going to be the people. A, a stadium can't teach anyone to be a better football player. That you got to motivate them and get them to do that. Okay. And, and I think the same thing happens on campus and we got to be careful that we don't just, you know, put another outside on Corbett hall and say, it's a new dorm. Okay. Cause kind of inside Corbett still stinks the same way it smelled when I was there for four and a half years. Okay. And, and we got to tear them down and we got to build up and we got to build it up in a way that people today are going to, are going to thrive in those places. Okay. Now the new residence hall, which I don't know the status now, but it was put on hold with the <coughs> with the COVID uncertainty where uh, Aylesworth was. We got to make sure that's the right thing for for how current students want to live. So they want to live on campus. You know, I know when I was in school, we all just lived on campus. Nobody nobody cared that it was kind of awful because that you just that's that was you know it's institutional. You're in a <laughs> hospital, a prison, or it's college, and you live there. Okay, and and the same with the food, okay? Um, it's not that way anymore. People want it to be nice. And Allison Hall is obsolete. Even if they put those nice red outside and put the roof on and, you know, add an, up, uh, uh, an apex ceiling like they did at Corbett. Hell, they even put our air conditioning in Parmalee. It still smells like Parmalee <laughs> Hall. <laughs> added a fourth floor, too. Yep, with air conditioning up there. Loft and even vaulted ceilings. But anyway, but it's the experience and it's the people, you know, and I know that because, Joel, you touched on this. Me being here 40 years, I know people that played in the in the 60s, okay, or Frank Fawcett, who played on the Raisin Bowl team. I played with his son, and his son is now – I know multiple generations of people coming to Colorado State, okay? My kids have been here in the last five years. It's still a great place. And it's a great place 
because of all the people collectively. It's not a great place because any one person, it's a great place because all of us. And everyone needs to honor that by being great themselves and honoring the people that come before them. So, Tom, you uh, you just answered that question with, with Joel. Um, you're recruiting. Sark, Sark recruited you. How does that compare to, uh, like, well, not last year's because that was completely different, but uh, the recruits coming up the last few years under, under Mike? Well, it's totally – the whole recruiting is different. I mean, back then, if you got a letter, it was a big deal. You know, and all the letters went to school, and your coach would make a big deal out of giving them out you know, in front of the rest of the team because that would be everything that everyone could thrive for and that would, you know, make a statement to your leadership. I'm going to tell this story. I don't know. This has nothing – well, it has a little bit to do. You know, Terry Nugent, the great quarterback at CSU, you know, we grew up together. And uh, he moved to Elk Grove when he was 10. I moved when I was seven, six. And uh, there was about 3,000 people in Elk Grove, south of Sacramento, it was a little bit of a buffer, kind of like Windsor used to be maybe 10 years ago. And uh, you, you could definitely tell when you left Elk Grove and went to Sacramento, and now you really can't. And uh, so he was the quarterback, and I was the center from the time we started playing football together. And, and we're both getting recruited. Now, Terry's getting recruited more than me. We had this really good player on our football team who visited Stanford, UCLA, Washington, Northwestern, and, and uh, Cal. Those were his five visits. And then you had Terry, you had a few Pac-10 visits. Then you had me. I visited Colorado State and Idaho State. And I turned down visits to Fresno State. And I was being recruited by Air Force and Brown and, and uh, some of those. But, uh, you know, it should, back then, if you found a place you think you'd love, you just said, I'm coming. And you, it wasn't, you know, I mean, I know they always had those, you know, the big battles. And, and that wasn't my world, you know what I mean? But for the most part, it just was, it was just saying, it makes sense. You know, we grew up out West TV. You didn't see games on TV. So you didn't go where there was TV games anyway. So I laughed because we visited, we visited Colorado state, all three of us. Chester was let go two years before at Pacific, which is just 30 miles down the road. So he was recruiting another teammate of mine. He remembered us. He recruits all three of us. We all visit. And uh, we come back on a Sunday, and on Monday, Chester and Sark Arslanian come to visit. And back then, again, it was practical. My parents came to Nugent's house, and we all met there. Nowadays, you wouldn't do that. You'd have to go with mama and grandma and the coach and the street agent and the youth coach and the pastor and the workout coach, and you all got to go to Tom's house, and then you'd have to go to Terry's house. Back then, it was just the parents and us. And uh, I could just imagine when, when uh, we, they, back then we had conference letters of intent, which were binding to the school, but not to us. We just couldn't go to BYU at the time. But if, if I wanted to go to Washington State, I could. And, we, and on Monday night, we go to Nugent's and they put those papers ahead in front of us. And I said, I'm signing that right now. Okay. And I don't think Terry signed his right away. And so I can only imagine after coaching and coming out of houses with the head football coach for 20 years, I, they walk out of the house and they get to the car. I could just see Coach Arslanian. He wasn't very tall. He, he threw his notebook on the on the hood on the on the top of the car, looked across the um, across the way at Chester Caddis and said, "I thought you said we were going to get both of them." And Chester, I thought we would, Coach, but at least he can long snap. <laughs> 
<laughs> because and again, I, I I really shouldn't have been playing here. I played a lot, but it's really circumstantial. Because when real guys came here, like Terry Unrine and Kevin Call, you realize how far away I was. I was a smart guy and I was very strong, but I, I didn't belong here. But I was a good long snapper. And, and I didn't get beat out until I broke my leg. And the guy who beat me out was Harper LaBelle. And he played for 11 years as a long snapper. Yeah. And he couldn't, and he couldn't beat me out. It's kind of like the NFL. They were afraid to take me out, even though they knew he was better, because they were afraid that he might screw it up in the game. But once I broke my leg and he didn't screw it up, then, I, you know, then he beat me out. Hmm. <laughs> but the, re- the recruiting is, is totally different. It starts earlier. It's not. It's not bad. You get more information because more information is available. But it's kind of like the whole goal is to get an offer. And then it's like I grew up loving Cal football. And that's because I was close. And we had a history of our guys from our high school going to Cal. It was great academics. I didn't even know what it meant. I'm glad I didn't go there because it's a little liberal now. And it was worse then. And I don't know that I fit in. Okay. Which, again, the fickle finger of fate worked out. But the truth is, I wanted to go to Cal. And if Cal offered me, I was going to take it. I wouldn't have looked around. I wouldn't have said, oh, I got a Cal offer. I wonder if I can get a Stanford or a Washington offer. And, and you just take it. And now they don't, even though they belong here. You know what I mean? That's why I love the fact that the local kids this year, we offered them early. We offered them clearly. We told them the truth. And, man, they jumped on board and they stuck with it. And there's some local kids that – I'm fired up about, and they're not all there yet. They're going to have to develop, but that's, that's why I like them because they're in when you're in, you're in And A lot of the great players here didn't have a lot of choices. You know what I mean? Moses Moreno and Rick Kroll, cause he got injured his junior year. He didn't have choices. Moses wasn't good enough. Anthony Hill didn't have a ton of choices. You know what I mean? Cecil Sapp didn't have a ton of choices. Gartrell Johnson didn't have a bunch of choices. Uh, Hell, Greg Myers and Brady Smith and Sean Moran didn't have better choices, you know, but they wanted to be here and they came and they, they, man, those guys did everything they could to be here. Adrian Ross, Clark Higgins, you know? Yeah. That's fascinating. It, I love, I love hearing the, the perception of, in, in your overview of, of student athletes over the years. And it kind of makes me wonder, has there been an evolution, you know, over the last 40 years that you've been in the profession that where you see differences from student athletes back then to today? I mean, one thing I keep thinking back to is the success that you guys had under Sonny's heyday when he won six conference championships in nine seasons. And he did it with lackluster facilities, small budgets, blue collar recruits. You know, now we're spending more than ever. Coaches making millions. We've got sparkling new facilities. Kind of goes back to what you were saying about people versus buildings. But, um, you know, we haven't won a conference championship in 18 years. All that being said, I mean, have you seen a difference in in student athletes? uh, No more or less than you have in general. Okay. And like I said, the internet has changed everything because everything's so available. Okay. So they're much more informed. I worry about the whole transfer portal and what that is doing. Uh, you know, there was an article in the Denver Post a couple months ago about that. The average Pac-10 team has eight. I think it was eight guys. Maybe even, I, for some reason, I'm maybe even 12, but I'm thinking maybe I'm stuck on Pac-12. But eight guys in the portal, that means 10, 10% of their team, 8% of their team is just saying, oh, hell with it, I'm leaving. You know, that quarterback at Oregon, and I don't know all the backstory. He's leaving. He was he started some games last year. He started the entire year before. And Patrick O'Brien's leaving. Yeah. You know, 
and you just it was a lot harder to transfer and i don't i don't think that was right okay but i've been here long enough to know joel so i one thing that I, i've always stayed in touch with guys i've always since i've been the ops guy and even before that i was the guy who said okay you're transferring okay well this is what you have to do you got to make sure you turn your books in or else you're going to get charged for them and you won't get a transcript you got to make what are you going to do about your lease what do you mean i'm leaving i'm not paying well you are in colorado you're paying your lease your parents need to know that you know uh this is what you need to do academically you need to drop all your classes and tell the university you're going to withdraw you, you know i need you I'm going to tell them not to pay your scholarship, okay? And if some guys come back after Christmas and said they were going to transfer, their scholarship already been paid. I said, look, don't spend that money because we're getting it back, okay? You're not enrolling in class. We give you the money the week before. You're going to pay back your stipend, and you will not get admitted anywhere without a transcript. And so I was always that guy. And for sometimes it's months. I've had guys call years after and say, Tom, they're charged. They charged me for this iPad. Well, I, I said, well, yeah, they did that a year and a half ago. Well, I didn't know I needed a transcript. Well, now you got to pay it, except it's been a year and a half of late charges. Now it's instead of an $800 iPad, it's a $2,000 iPad. And so I've always been that guy. Well, in, in my last job this last year, especially with all the time, it was really about my connections because it was all about careers for the guys. So I reached out to a lot of guys who left here. Okay. I let, I talked to guys who flunked out, who were academic All-Americans who just left. I got, I left, I talked to guys who left because they got a coach. They didn't think liked them. I got, I left, I got guys who missed their girlfriend. I got, I talked to guys whose, whose mom got sick or dad died. I talked to guys who, who smoked their way out of here. Okay. Who flunked out, who got caught cheating who got accused of crimes that they may or may not have ever been prosecuted for. Okay. I've talked to, you know, cheating. I, I've, I've talked to all kinds of guys. They all love Colorado state and they wish that they just had a little more information, you know, because they know, you know, we're all, we all are so reactive when we're 18, 19, 22. And the internet has only made it worse. You have one bad game and the coach calls you out and, and it's like, you know, in front of your team, which is what you got to do. You can't just not call out the good players. If Trey McBride gets a shitty game, you got to say, Trey, you can't have a shitty game. Well, I can't say that. You can't. You know, the truth is you got to call Worse out. Worse has been guys. said. <laughs> you got you to tell the truth, you know. And when you're with the team, it used to be okay. But now the problem is somebody puts that on the internet. Somebody says, oh, coach is really hard on Trey McBride. You know what I mean? Trey McBride might be able to take it, but some other kid can't. And the next thing you know, he says, well, I'm leaving. Just like I did when they didn't hire Chester Caddis. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but, but and, yeah. And here's what I know. I went in there and told Chester that I was leaving. And then the next day I told him, okay, then I'm switching positions. And long story short, on Monday, I told him I was switching positions on Thursday. I told him I was that on Thursday, I made the travel squad on Saturday and pregame. Another guy got hurt. And I played, and I ended up lettering that year. The next year, I started. Okay, I was such a good defensive tackle. There were three defensive tackles that alternated: Andre Augustine, Steve Bolton, and me. And then there were the defensive ends were were you know littler guys. So we were in. In my case, they weren't littler; they were just faster. But 
I between the three of us, we played almost every snap at the two inside players. We had a few other guys, but there wasn't much consistency. The two seniors graduate. Leon Fuller comes in and moves me to second team center behind my roommate. You couldn't leave. I'm like, oh God, what am I going to do? Leave? Where are you going to go? You know? So I sucked it up and I stayed. And my roommate broke his hand in training camp. Okay. And I ended up getting winning the starting position because of that. And then his hand healed and he learned how to teach snap left-handed. Okay. And we both played the, the entire year. We all lived happily ever after because we stayed. How many, how, I mean, it's probably countless, but how many times have kids come up to you wanting to transfer and you told them pretty much everything you just said and they decided to stick it out and, and then ended up being I, great at CSU. Okay. I could, I, a primary reason that I've been able to stick around so long is because I did a lot of stuff that a lot of people wouldn't do at Colorado State. Places that other places their ops guy never do. And that usually has to do with my relationship with former players and boosters and donors and how I could help our players. Okay. And so I know that I know, I know the answer to this. I can tell you after the last year and even all the time, there are but three or four players who are glad they ever left here. And even they wish they didn't. Okay. I'll tell you a couple great stories. I hope they don't mind. Andy Loveland. Andy Loveland was a quarterback from San Diego. Got here. I remember when we were recruiting him, it was like, Hey, He's pretty damn good. He is a great leader. And so we think he's a quarterback. He's like Anthony Hill. He doesn't have the best mechanics and some of that stuff that you wish like classic quarterbacks have. But, man, this guy is a winner. Okay. And if, and if nothing else, he can play safety. So we get him there. And, you know, leadership is harder at this level. Everything's harder. Anthony, an, or, um, he, Andy Loveland was wonderful, but he just he, he was homesick. He was from San Diego. It's cold. People are on his ass. He wasn't in the school. He wasn't playing like a lot of people. And he just got, he just got disenfranchised like I did my freshman year. And, and he was just like, ah, and he, and he ended up leaving. And we tried to get him to move to safety, but he wouldn't do it. He goes to JC in, in, in San Diego. I don't know how he picked the JC, but he ends up the one closest to home or whatever. And the guy said, well, you can't be a quarterback here. We got our guy. You can be a safety. He goes, okay. And he's an All-American. He goes to Oklahoma State. He's an All-American for two years. And, and we were right. And he wishes he never left. But he knows that if he didn't leave, it was never going to be good because it was just not where he was ready to grow up. Okay? And there's, and there's a lot of those stories. My, my story is uh, I got a kid named Mike Epley. Mike Epley was a starting outside linebacker. He started his freshman year, 1989. Earl Bruce comes in. It's a lot different. And I didn't do a great job that first spring, man. I was, I was, when Earl yelled at me, I yelled at them. And, and, and about the fourth day of practice, after every practice, we'd go into the staff room right off the field. We wouldn't even take a leak. We went right into the, into the office and he wanted to hear about each guy. That was so he could get to know the names, get to know who was good, who was, and I remember telling him, okay, well, so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. I said, that wasn't near as good though. Cause Mike wasn't there. He goes, what? I said, yeah, Mike Epley wasn't here today. He goes, well, where was he? I said, I don't know. I, I didn't have time to check. He goes, what, what do you mean? I said, well, I went to my meeting. You know, we had a half-hour meeting. Now we meet for an hour and a half, right? But back then we had a 30-minute meeting. And, and once you got in that meeting, you're like, he's, where is Mike? And everyone's going, I don't know. Who's this roommate? Did you see him? Well, I, I, I didn't go home after class. You know what I mean? He was like, okay, well, shit, I don't have time to worry about it. That's how I was. 
I said that to Earl Bruce. I said, I didn't have time to check. I didn't have time to call. And he looked at his eyes, those blue eyes. <laughs> he says, you mean to tell me that one of our best players wasn't in practice and you didn't tell me? I said, well, no, sir. And I, he said, why the F would you not tell me? I said, well, I, I guess I didn't think I guess I didn't think it was important. If he's not going to be there, I don't know where he was. He goes, what if a media person would have noticed that who asked me where he was? And I'm like, well, I don't know he's not here. You, I'd have looked like a fool. <laughs> Plus, you don't know what he's doing. And his whole point was, you got to know about your players, man. And that kid, if, it's okay if they don't show up. It's okay if they quit. But they better love you enough to call you and tell you they're quit. And that's – I said, man, that was seared on my soul. I didn't get angry at Earl Bruce. Oh, it was. If you, you'd have thought disrespectful and abusive if you were in that meeting, let me tell you. Okay. Unbelievable. Okay. But I happened to be the first guy, and he didn't want to have that conversation with the other nine co- or other eight coaches. He wanted to have it once. So he made his point really clear at my expense. And I said to myself, damn, this guy knows what he means. Yeah, no sh- no kidding. How bad would that have been? I didn't get angry that he yelled at me. I didn't get angry that he swore at me, that he threatened me my job and, you know, my career. And he did all those things. I said, yeah, that makes sense to me because it's the right thing. People today, it ain't about doing what's right. It's about, well, you disrespected me. And I'm sorry, I have a hard time with that. And that's the old school part of me. However, I also know that there's a better way to do it. And that's where I go back. What Joel said when I would call. Okay. And, and this is a long answer to this question. Joel, my answer to that question is Mike Bell. That's when I got to know you, Joel. Remember when I was recruiting Mike Bell running back from Arizona? Mm-hmm. You remember that Joel? I sure do. Okay. And that was the first time I was on Ram Nation. I'd moved out to the country. It would take 40 seconds for each page to load. <laughs> Because of my back then. Oh, okay. But it was the, it was a great source of information. I, I realized then that's when if I had any money, I would have said, you know what? I should inter- I should invest in this internet thing. But I didn't have any money. So so anyway, <laughs> did I. I'm recruiting Mike Bell, and Mike Bell wants to come to Colorado State, but his dad won't let him. Okay. And that happened a lot because he could go to Arizona or Arizona State or UCLA. But he knew that he should come here. So I used Ram Nation to get information the first year. So the next year, he goes to Arizona because of McAvick. Okay. McAvick turns him and he is miserable, like a lot of guys. Okay. And he calls me at, in the middle of the season, no release, nothing. I said, Mike. And I told him the story about me leaving, me wanting to leave Colorado State, which I didn't even tell you, but I, I told you part of it. And I said, I, and I went and talked to my coaches and I stayed and we all lived happily ever after. There's nothing wrong with Arizona. There's nothing wrong with football. I'm not saying it's going to go well with every person, but the problem is you're being a big baby. You need to stay at Arizona. Call me in May if after spring football, if you don't want, if you still want to transfer. Thanks coach. He hung up and he never called. The next time I see him, he's with the Broncos. And I go and say hi to him, and he gives me the biggest hug, and he says, Coach, I would have come, and I'd have been great here, but thanks for saying that. I don't know. Maybe that was the wrong thing to say. If I were selfish, I'd have said transfer. 
And I don't know if he'd have made it. He wasn't tough enough to sit out for a year because that's what you had to do back then. Right. He'd have never made it. And he would have quit here and ended up at NAU. Hmm. And we still talk today. And I called all those guys and they're all glad to hear it from me. They're all glad to, for Colorado State. They want Colorado State to move forward. In spite of all the controversy this year, they want us to move forward. They want us to win. We all do. Yes. Amen. Well, uh, we are on the backstretch of our conversation with Tom Ellers. Tom, I know, wants to get back to drinking some beer there at Mighty River. Um, before we continue with a few more questions, if you've got time, Tom, you want to cut it? <laughs> I'm just seeing Dan here. Oh. Dan here is leaving. Okay. Goodbye, Dan. Thanks, brother. Okay. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> We need our samples down here in Parker. They said send samples. <laughs> I went through my sample. I, I bought. Well, you got to come up here to get samples. That's right. We do. Well, I, I want to talk about our other great sponsor, Ginger and Baker. They are once again open as of earlier this month. You can stop in for craft cocktails, down-home food, and the best pies and bakery items around. Our good buddy Steve Ivy Swell Cracker sent me a picture just the other day of his lovely. Wife and him having a Valentine's Day uh, dinner. And uh, I'm telling you guys, this place is one of my favorite ever. If, if you've never been, you're going to be blown away. They've got regular uh, cooking classes as well in their world-class kitchen. This Friday, they've got a class to learn how to make pasta from scratch. Uh, this Coke Avon class on March 5th. Mike, I don't know if you've ever done that kind of cooking. Sizzling steak class the, the night after. The staff is awesome. This entire facility and atmosphere cannot be beat. You guys are going to love it. Support Ginger Graham and this great Fort Collins icon. It is one of my favorite places ever. Tommy, have you ever been there? I've been there many times. Many times. Fun. And we take Coach Adazio and the staff loves it. Takes recruits there. Families there. Yeah. Yep. It was, uh, it's a good place, good food, and obviously good people, inspiring. Yeah, and, and I really like Ginger Graham. Uh, Kate Cooper, who's their director of marketing, she's been a great partner for Ram Nation. I know Mike knows her as well. So they have been awesome for us, and uh, I just, I want Ram Nation to support them as well. Tom, chicken pot pie there is. Everybody, from everybody, everybody says that. Yeah. It's humongous. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So, my, uh, Tom, a couple couple minutes ago, you were talking about some of the talented defensive linemen that you played with. Um, as a defensive line coach, you got to lead some some pretty good ones. Uh, several of who, who had a really good career in the NFL. At Clark Higgins, obviously, Joey Porter, Adrian Ross, Brady John Smith. Who? Sean Moran and Brady. Yep, Sean Moran. Uh, who, who stands out to you the most? Uh, and that's a tough question, but. Those, those you know, I can't questions. answer that because they'll all listen. <laughs> and then, so here's what I'll tell you. Those guys were remarkable. Sean, Brady, Adrian, Clark, Pete Hogan, Wallace Thomas, Joey. And do you realize that not one of those guys weighed 210 when we recruited them? I mean, Brady Smith weighed 195. He had mono his senior year. Sean Moran was an all-state swimmer, weighed 195, played linebacker here for two years. Adrian Ross is still pissed at me today. I just talked to him yesterday, <laughs> Friday. Uh, the 19th is his birthday. There's two people. I don't even know how they did it. There's two people that are in my phone. Every year they come up on their birthday. Adrian <laughs> Ross and Tracy Kerr, Larry's wife. So I always call them on their birthday because somehow they put it in my phone. They say they didn't do it, but somehow it comes up on my calendar. But I just talked to Adrian, and he would still be angry that I played him at uh, defensive end instead of linebacker 
even though he was two times all conference and, you know, but, but there are people that coach for 35 years that never get to coach one of those guys, let alone seven or eight. And then you don't, and that's not even counting the defensive tackles that love football. You know what I mean? It's just amazing to think how hard those guys played football. They loved football. You know what I mean? I mean, just think back. Think back at how hard they played. Brady both Smith. Sides of the ball. Yeah, Brady Smith running the quarterback down on the option. They, they changed how Air Force blocked the backside of the option because the feeling was until then, and Fisher DeBerry has told me this, until then they never blocked the backside in because if he ran the quarterback down, it's the quarterback's fault from the backside when they're running the option away from him. And Brady and Sean did that for two years and ruined their offense. And, and they changed, they, they then had to kind of step down to make sure there were no stunt. And if no defensive end was coming at or defensive tackle was coming at them, they then hinged back to block the defensive end or at least to slow them down just enough to slow them down. Cause once we did that, everyone changed their scheme to run down the quarterback and they were like the hell with the reverse until then. We took the reverse. The defensive end had responsibility for the reverse or for the option. Okay, so you were taking him out of the game. Once it went away, he kind of just stood there and made sure it wasn't a reverse. And then everyone else played the option part of that. But what we realized is, you know, this is Sonny and Larry. They realized if we just run him down and it, it, it takes away the, the uh, cutback options of the quarterback and it makes him have to make that decision a lot quicker, which then makes the pitch quicker if he's going to pitch it, because if he doesn't pitch, he's going to get caught for behind. And that puts all the pressure on the offense to execute quicker and make the right decision quicker, which then screwed it up. And, uh, but just those guys, just how they attack football, it's just amazing. And it was like eight years of, it was like eight years of guys that, that you, you had to say, whoa, to instead right. of go, you know, and I used to say all the time, and that's why I'm excited about the guys that I, that I think coach Adazio is recruiting. It seems to me when I watch them, and I, 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 I watch the tape and I, I hear them and I get to know them. And I, and I didn't get to know them as much this fall as I did last spring. But it, most of those guys stayed with their commitment. It's, it just seems like they're, they're guys that just love football. And, and you're going to have to say, whoa, 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 slow down instead of go, go, go. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you think about it, uh, the teams that have struggled, I mean, the teams that have struggled, you were always saying, go, go, go. You've seen some pretty Great coaches come through. Guys that have gone on to big things, obviously. Uh, guys, and this is, I was thinking about this. I made a list, and this is by no means all inclusive. Um, but some of the the top guys that you're like, wow, that's like, you need to forget about some of these guys. But Urban, obviously, John Sladaney, John Benton, Pat Meyer, James Craig, Lane Kiffin was a GA, Vance Bedford, Brian Schneider, Skip Holtz, Mark and Matt Lubick, Noel Mazzoni, Billy Napier. Uh, then you've got guys like Chuck Heater who's back now, plus guys that pretty much retired Rams like Larry Kerr, Dave Lay, and Mick Delaney. You still keep in touch with a lot of these guys, and I mean, it's not a bad coaching tree. Yeah, all of them. They've been fun and uh, amazing group of guys. And like I said, it's 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 amazing when I think of the quality of coach, and even more so the quality of person that every head coach has brought in here. And the head coaches, whether they're successful or not successful by win losses. Um, it's amazing how the stand-up guys, I'm friends with all the head coaches. I, I think they'd all consider me a friend. 
I talk to them all regularly, not often, but regularly and they call and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like picking my best player. That's an unfair question, Joel, but it is amazing when you look at who's come here as a coach. Amazing. Dave Magazoo, Bob Wiley, right. Steve Loney, those guys, they, those are Mike DeBoard. I mean, our old line coach history here, phenomenal. Some good ones. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you just saw Daryl Funk got hired at BYU. Eric Frazier is at, at Wyoming. Uh, yeah. Yep. Good for yep. him. Good for yeah, him. Yeah. That one's His tough. dad played at Wyoming. That'll be, that'll be a yep. good place for him. Yeah. Yep. Well, I got a few more um, questions, but one, one more that kind of touches a nerve with me and, you know, answer it as you please. But, you know, you've been a liaison with former players. You know, I think back to, you know, you're some of your alumni golf tournaments that I've actually participated in as I've never had anything to do with football. Uh, just a blast of a time with all the guys. And, but I, th- I think you said that you'd listen to some of our old podcasts with some of our former players. And some of those guys have said they're not on best terms with the university. I look at Anthony Hill and that's a real tough one for me. Obviously there was a lot that happened there this year, but uh, I mean, do you think that there's a disconnect out there with, with former players in our university and can that be fixed? In my role, Joe, we talk about this regularly in our conventions. We meet twice a year as a group, one at the national convention, the AFCA convention in January. We spend one full day, about eight hours of meetings. And then we always meet in the spring at a, at a place. And we usually get about 150 ops people from all levels. Okay, we've been doing that for about 20 years. It was started by the uh, original guys in the business, the guys who transitioned from coaches to to op- operations people as that became popular. And then, uh, and we talk about all this stuff and there's always a disconnect. Former players always think they should have more influence and say, and all that. That being said, I talked to Anthony Hill. I don't regularly more than any former player probably right now. Uh, Anthony Hill deserves and has earned everyone's re- respect. And uh, it's, it's hard to see it go. It's hard for him to feel that way. And, uh, and I hate it. And yet I can see how it happened. I've been on both ends. There's no good way to tell a guy he doesn't have a job. I'm a head coach. And there's no good way to tell your friends, like when a coach gets a job and all his buddies from 40 years of coaching, expecting to hire their son, their nephew, their, their GA, you following me? They all expect yeah. to be hired. And uh, you can't, you get, you get tired of 15 people, you know, maybe 18. If you go to Texas, you get hired 22, you know, and it's not very many people. So there's a lot of people disappointed and that's a hard position to put the coaches in. And, and that's what I've always said to all the guys who we, we mentioned earlier, a couple that didn't get rehired here when they got let go. I just said, look, just don't be, don't be angry at the place. I, I don't think anyone claims that any place does well or does it perfectly. Okay. But I know this, there are no bad intentions at Colorado State University on any level. And we work at diversity and we work at giving people a chance. I'm a Tony Alford guy. I, I, was, I coached Tony Alford, not, not directly, but he was a player. When, when I got here in 89, I saw him rush for 321 yards or 310 yards at, 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 at Utah. I was here when, when he was in college and his, he was going through some family stuff. He came to me. I was here when his brother was going through some tough times as a player here and transitioned to a, to a student coach. I was here uh, when he was starting his career, Tony, 
I was here when his brother passed away, and and I'm a Tony Alford fan, and 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 yet I I mean I don't get a vote, you know. But Tony Alford got interviews, and, and they hired a different guy, you know. And that happens to all of us in our career, and and I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying, you know, for every guy who wants to hire a former player, then another guy points out that Steve Fairchild was a very successful former player, and yet when he got here, everyone wanted to get rid of him, you know, and everyone. Everyone gets angry that Jim McElwain left, right? But everyone forgets that there has not been a single head coach to leave Colorado State for a better job except Jim McElwain since 1932. Yep. He's the only guy to Every leave. coach has been yeah, fired he, or retired. Yeah. Well, matter of fact, they've been fired because Harry Hughes retired in 1932. And everyone else, I guess, uh, 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 yeah, the one, uh, what's his name, in 55. Yeah. Anyway, but my point being, you know, we forget, but I, I, I talk to Anthony and I, and I, I tell him that we need him to be, and we need to make it better. We don't need to, we don't need to be part of the problem and bitch about it. I might even say, we don't need to be part of the problem, bitch about it on Ram nation. I might've said that once to him. Okay. <laughs> what we need to be is part of the solution and figure it out. I don't doubt any bit that Anthony Hill went through what he went through this winter because he's told me that. And I love the guy and I trust him. And I don't try to justify what happened to him or what he saw or what he thought. I just know that it's never as easy as people think. And at this point, I think that the role of alumni and former players is to get behind the head coach and help him win every game. There is nobody that wins if our goal is to see Steven Azio and the football program be not successful. That doesn't exactly. work because success begets success, not, not lack of. So that's about as much as I'll say about those guys. And, and I've been through a lot of them. I mean, let me tell you, Dan Hammersmith, Daryl Funk have both coordinated division one football on both sides of the football. And sometimes they've gone without work. It's just part, it's just the crappy part of the business. So, Kind of finishing on a more uplifting note, is there a, a best thing that you think has happened to CSU during your tenure that you would pinpoint? During your four um, decades. <laughs> like, there, like Joel said at the beginning, all that proves is that I'm old. <laughs> that was a joke, Tommy. <laughs> uh, you know, there's lots of things. I mean, I remember I remember when uh, at the Freedom Bowl when the, when when they threw that pass and the guy caught it, I saw him catch. I was on the sideline and I put my head down. I went, Oh gosh. And then we, our fans started screaming. I looked up like, what, what, what? And they're like, they're saying he wasn't in. I'm like, Oh God. I remember we Colorado state won a bowl game against a PAC 10 team. I thought it can't get any better. Then I was at Fresno state and we won the championship. Ray Jackson might've won the championship for us. Okay. Well, he blocked a punt. He had a one-handed interception. Yeah. I tell people about the play. This is going to be a longer answer than you wanted. People ask me if there's one play. There is one play that I love. And it's not it's not Cecil Sapp carrying those six guys in the end zone from CU. Remember that run? Yeah. Okay. So it's not that one. It's, it's not, not Darren Hall. It's not Darren Hall at Air Force or or Dallas Davis at the at, at San Diego State in the, in the in the bowl game or in the stadium there, it's not Clark Higgins at Michigan State knocking the ball loose or him in the interception at CU. It's not any of it. My my favorite play is is 
uh, Fresno State. It's uh, first. They get the ball back. They're on like the 35-yard line. It's a first down. They're on their 35. They're going from the south to the north. We're in our favorite call, Rams 2 and play it, which means the corners are kind of in a read. They're jamming the receivers, but when the ball goes away, they back up a little bit. And then if the ball really goes away, they open up, and they're the save the touchdown guy. They're the last guy. can never cut behind them, and they got to pursue. They got the angle on everybody, and uh, Fresno State runs a trap. What was their running back? Anderson? Was that him then? Good that running back. Right. They run a trap right, right down the middle. Quick hit and play, and that son of a gun hits. Ray Jackson is going to jam the receiver. He sees the ball go away. He opens his hips, and he starts hauling ass. And he knocks the fullback out of bounds at the three-yard line. The ball was on the 35, 33-yard line, and he was the backside corner. He had to run 108 yards to get there. I made that number up, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> but he knocked him out. We end up stopping him, and they kicked the field goal. Okay, He didn't do anything that he wasn't coached a thousand times to do. But it becomes very very boring to do that when the ball goes the other way to act like you matter and bust your ass when you could probably take a break and in your entire career, it might be the only time in his four years at Colorado state and six or seven years in the NFL that it mattered. It might be the only time, but he did it right. And it won the game because we barely won. And I know he blocked such a punt for a touchdown. He had a one-handed interception on our sideline. Made a bunch of plays, broke up. I mean, he was he was he was amazing, but that's the play because it wasn't anything special. It was just what you're supposed to do. And part of the reason I like that is because I think I wasn't good enough to do anything special, but I was good enough to do what I was supposed to do, longer and harder than anyone else would do it. And that's the key to my success. And if you look at it, the key to the success, I mean, Garrett Sand never played NFL football, not even close, but he came through when we needed him. And I think most people are like me. Most people aren't good enough to make a great play. But if they show up every day, do the right thing all the time, as hard as they can do it, not as hard as you can do it, not as hard as he can do it, not as hard as that guy can do it, just as hard as I can do it, that you're going to have success. Man, that's How's good. that? That is good. That's awesome. And by the way, Tom, I, you told me once that you have that game on video somewhere, and, and I'm still in see, I'm still seeking a copy of oh, that. The Fresno State game? 94 Fresno, yep. It's the, okay. it's, it's the crown jewel that's missing from my collection. Gotcha. So I'm going to hit you up. Prime Sports. Prime yeah, Sports. It was I, think Prime Sports. I watched it at midnight. It was late. It was like ending at midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. So I started telling that story, and I got distracted by that play. I ran down. We were, I was at the press box now, and I ran down as fast as I could, and I was way ahead of everybody because I knew how to get there because I've been to Fresno a number of times. No one else had because they had just been, got to the conference, but I had played there at Oregon State. We played there, and you know I grew up there, so I kind of knew a little bit about how to get around. So I get in the, in the locker room. We already run the game, but everyone's partying, and everyone knows we won the championship or tied for it and won all the tiebreakers. And I'm in the locker room for like a minute and a half, and it seemed like 40 minutes by myself. And I was just giddy. I was crying. It was just like, I can't believe he won the championship, you know? And then, so that was a moment, right? And then, and then the moment 
when we won the Freedom Bowl. What a feeling, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. And then to, to, to beat CU like we did a couple times, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the BYU game. The BYU game in 84 was amazing. And Brady Smith and Sean Moran were all sitting on the bus and my parents might have brought me a beverage, so I didn't mind waiting for the bus. But when I'm sitting there on the bus, we're all waiting. It's like, what are we waiting for? They're like, well, Sean and Brady are still in there getting IVs. They played 93 plays apiece. It's 96 degrees, 93 degrees at kickoff. And they, and they don't play 91 plays and take it easy. They play like you love the game, you know? And then, you, you know, so you think of that. You know, there's just so many times, there's so many – it's not a play, it's a theme. And the theme is that when you're good, it's, it's not the special things. It's the everyday, a guy doing his job thing. It's, it's, you know, it's do your job. And that's what's amazing. So there you have it. Well, Mike, I don't know if you have any other questions. I know I've monopolized a lot of this because Tommy's my no. favorite. And, uh, but I, my last thing, Tom, do you, and Sonny's will forever be my my hero. But any any favorite Sonny story? Uh, well, I kind of told you my the, the Sonny story that I think changed me the most is when he said, "Yeah, Tom, do you think there's a better way to say that?" I'm like, yeah, no kidding. Let me think about that. So forevermore, when I can't reach a guy, I don't get angry at the guy. I say, "How do I need to say this so they can do this?" And I try to do it with my own kids. Right. You, you know, and I try to do that with people. And, and, and I know that that was his gift is that when Sonny Lubick said, really, nobody ever said, Oh yeah. You know, what do you know? What do you, what you, what do you want? It was always like, boy, if he says that I could do better, I could do better. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's why Sonny is successful. It's you trusted him, you know, what a human being he was is. Yeah, he is. He is. But what a great coach and, and a leader he was for sure. No doubt. No doubt. Well, Tommy, I know we've kept you longer than we've I think, I think we need to do this again in the summertime. Yeah, we can in do this again. In person, in person, having some beers. I don't think they'll run out of beer here at Mighty River. No. Well, I don't know. If Mike shows up, could be trouble. <laughs> They're not afraid. <laughs> They're not afraid. <laughs> Well, Tommy, uh, you've always been super kind to me. Always got a smile on your face. I appreciate you as always. You're a great man. It's been awesome talking to you and catching up. Yeah, it's been great. Man. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Fun to visit. What, okay. what, uh, what away games are you looking at? So uh, my best friend from, from Elk Grove, uh, who I've known, and who the guy who got me to play football, so I knew him before Nugent, but my Nugent's probably my – they're pretty close, but Terry would tell you that, my best friend, he's the guy that, you know, 90% of the stupid stuff you did, you did with one guy. <laughs> yep. well, my buddy, this is how dumb he is. He, he spends his entire career in Sacramento, and he retires, and he moves to northern Michigan. <laughs> so, so, so he is uh, in Michigan. And so I looked the other day at flying out, going to the Toledo game, and then in between going to visit him, and then going to the Iowa game. Nice. That's a good yeah. stretch. Those are uh, the two games that we're looking at. We're going to Iowa for sure and trying to decide on Toledo. I might go on to Toledo myself. Right. I'll so go that's, Mike. that's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to some games. Uh, this year, I'll go to those. 
and, and I'm going to go. I've been contacting some of the guys at Brown, probably 15 or 20 guys that I coached at Brown or teammates. And some of those guys were ultra successful and neat. And some of them are just great people, and, and it's good to see them. And so I'm going to get out there for a game. I don't know if I'll do that this year or next year. I'm going to go to some big games. You know, I'm going to go to the Apple Cup. I'm going to go to – I'm going to go to the Alabama A&M game. And I'm going to go to the, the cocktail party in Jacksonville. I'm going to go to the Army nice. Navy game. I'm going to go to a Penn State game. Yeah. You're going to live the life. I am. You're doing everything you couldn't do. That's right. Now I'm going to have a beer before the game. I never could do that. We'd have Ram Legends, and I'd go out there to the tailgate and have to say hi and couldn't have a beer. Well, let's definitely uh, connect for a beer this yes, year sir. before a game. Okay, we'll call anytime. Appreciate you guys and keep it positive. Okay, pal. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Yep. See you guys. Thanks a lot, Tom. Yep. Bye. See you. Thanks, Mike. Well, that's this episode of Ram Nation Radio. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, for Tom Ellers. Thank you to Michael. I know he's got to go cook dinner for his family, as do I. Uh, thank you all for listening. Ram Nation Radio. Go Rams. Out. Oh.